I am a pastor up in amazing East Nashville. I love Kairos. I preached my very first sermon some 13 years ago. Thank you, Boggs. At Kairos. So every time I get an opportunity to be here, it feels like a homecoming of sorts. Being a pastor, a question that we are often asked is, what is your favorite book of the Bible? And when you ask a pastor their favorite book of the Bible, it is similar to asking a parent if they have a favorite child. Um, all of them do. They just won't admit it in public. That joke seemed a lot easier in the 4 o'clock when my daughter wasn't sitting right over there. Maybe as far as you know, it's you. T tonight... In front of God and a host of witnesses, I am willing to finally declare publicly my favorite book of the Bible. It is the book of Romans. Romans is one of Paul's letter, one of Paul's letters, but it's unique among Paul's letters for many reasons. All of the other epistles written by Paul are written into kind of hyper-specific contexts. They are written into cities or churches, congregations or individuals that he knew well, places he had been, places he had planted a church, places he had preached, men that he had mentored and discipled. And as such, he writes into those specific context. Now from those we get amazing, incredible truths to be applied to our lives today, but all of those are different from his letter to the church at Rome. You see, he had never been to Rome before. He wanted to go. He had heard a lot about the church in Rome, but since he had never been there, he wanted to make sure before he went, everybody was on the same page theologically, with their Christian doctrine. And what that means is it gave Paul the opportunity, God through the hand of Paul, to write what has become the most comprehensive, clear, beautiful picture of the gospel in human history. From beginning to end, Paul makes this kind of airtight legal case for the gospel. Each chapter, each concept building on the last. And it all centers around Romans chapter 3. I can say without hyperbole, everything in Romans, nay, everything in the Bible, either points toward is a restatement of or flows from these three verses in the middle of Romans chapter 3. This is the distilled gospel. And no one will leave the room tonight having not heard it. Up until really one generation ago, pastors in China would have to tear out parts of the Bible and they would distribute it amongst themselves because they didn't have copies of the Bible for everyone. And the fear was if one of the pastors got caught, if one of the pastors was arrested and he had the Bible, the only one for the village, the whole village would lose the scripture. So they would pass out bits and pieces so if somebody got arrested, they wouldn't lose it all. 
I've thought about that a lot. I've prayed about that a lot. And I have prayed, God, if I am ever in that position, if I ever only get a piece, may it be Romans. If I ever only get a chapter, may it be Romans chapter 3. If I can only have three verses, may it be these three. What I have found spending years on the mission field working with people that had never darkened the door of a church. They had never opened a Bible. They were a complete clean slate as far as the gospel goes. It was amazing to watch them begin to receive the purity of Romans, the purity of the true gospel. Back in the States, working with so many that spent their lives in church pews or theater seats or around round tables, I have been horrified to find out. Many of us don't know. Many of us have never heard. And so tonight we are going to remedy that. In order to do so, we need to have a quick vocabulary lesson. Cameron read this passage for us, and there are some words that are really churchy. There are some words that if you did grow up in the church, you have heard, and maybe you can even put a definition to. If you did not grow up in the church, you may have never heard before. So we're going to start by going through some of these words and making sure we understand what they mean. The first one is sin. The very center verse of this passage, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, most of us, if not all of us, have encountered that word at some point in our lives, that word sin. We have a general idea of what it means. There's this grand list somewhere of all the things we're allowed to do and all the things we're not allowed to do. And if we don't do those things, then we have sinned. If we cheat on our math test or cheat on our girlfriend or cheat on our taxes, we have sinned. We put the Ten Commandments on our wall and we think, okay, I'm going to do these things and I'm not going to do those things, so I'm going to try not to sin. All of those things, yes, they are physical manifestations of sin in our lives. But sin is actually much broader than that. Sin is a matter of the heart, the scriptures teach us. Sin is at its baseline a desire to be independent from God. Sin is us saying, I can do better than God. I can take care of my needs better than God. I can create joy better than God. I know myself better than God. Essentially, I am God. That is sin in our lives, and that sin creates a chasm between us and our Creator that nothing we could ever do could bridge. First word that we have to understand is sin. The second word in this passage that we need to make sure we know is righteousness. 
Quite simply, it is being right before God. To put it even more simple is righteousness is perfection. You see, the Bible teaches us, the first few chapters of Romans teach us that there are only two kinds of people in this world, righteous and unrighteous, perfect and imperfect. Every single one of us in this room falls on one side of that ledger. Understand this. Relative to eternity, there are not degrees of righteousness. It is not a gradient. You are not more or less imperfect. You are not more or less righteous or unrighteous. You are either one or the other. It is binary. Sin. Righteousness. The third word is justify or justification. That was a term used in legal circles, a term used in court To be justified literally means to be declared not guilty. In the context of Romans 3, it is to be declared righteous, declared perfect. Sin, righteousness, justification, and finally, redemption. If justification is a term of the courts, Redemption was a term of the marketplace. It meant literally to buy back as you would do in a pawn shop. More commonly, in the ancient Near East, when Paul was writing this letter to the church at Rome, it would be used in the slave markets. You could redeem someone that was up for auction To become a slave, you could pay the price for them and buy their freedom. That was redemption. Sin, righteousness, justification, redemption. Let's reread Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That's it. It says this. It says every single one of us, every human that has ever walked this planet has sinned, which has created a chasm between us and our Creator. But through faith in Jesus Christ, By the free gift of grace, that chasm has been bridged, and we can be with the creator and lover of our souls forever. Salvation by grace through faith. Period. 
the most difficult thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is it is scandalously simple. We desperately want to add something to it. We need to add something to it. It doesn't make any sense. We want some skin in the game, right? This idea that simply by faith in Jesus Christ, who paid the price for my sins, I am declared righteous. I am declared not guilty. Guys, let me tell you, I am guilty. To my very core, I am guilty. But the gospel tells me that the moment... In faith, I accept this free gift of grace. I am declared righteous once and for all. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, we're told that that Jesus became sin for us so that we could become God's righteousness. That's crazy. We want to say, okay, I get it. Hannah, I've heard this. Um, my, my parents told me this. I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. I've sat in the church pews. I walked the aisle at Centrifuge one summer. They sang Just As I Am. It was beautiful, and I know exactly what you mean. Salvation by faith alone. But also, I, I know there are these things I am supposed to be doing. And I am certain there are these things that I am not supposed to be doing. Salvation by faith and attending a church service every single week. Salvation by faith and writing a tithe check. Salvation by faith and sexual purity. Salvation by faith and honesty and integrity. Hear me say this tonight. If you say salvation by faith and, it does not matter what comes after the and. It is blasphemy. You can put any word, any action, any inaction after that and, and it is blasphemy. You see, we desperately, we, we get to Romans 3, and we're like, okay, I get it, Paul, that's great, but we want to run to Romans 6. We want to run to Romans 12, you know, living our life, a living sacrifice, all of those things. We want to run to sanctification because I want to do something. Sanctification is that process of becoming more Christ-like, that process of being made holy, and it is real. It is not a part of salvation. It's not salvation by faith and being sanctified. Hear me say this tonight. Sanctification, the process of becoming more Christ-like. The process of your heart and your life and your actions conforming to the heart and life and actions of Jesus Christ. It is not obligatory. 
But when you meet Jesus, it is inevitable. It will happen. You can't stop it. You can't hold it back. But if you put the two together, suddenly it's faith and works. And that's not what this says. James tells us in his letter that these works, this sanctification, it is a great litmus test. Examine your life, examine your heart. Because that is a litmus test for your faith. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. We are told by the author of Hebrews that Jesus Christ, through one sacrifice, once and for all, makes perfect, makes righteous those of us who are being made holy. You see, the righteousness is immediate and eternal. The sanctification is a lifelong process that will never be completed on this side of heaven. But make no mistake, it is inevitable. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. We want to earn it. We want to do something. But the scandalous simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ forces us to recognize our own helplessness. It forbids us from living a life of moral superiority. It forces us to open our hands to the only one that can save us. The flip side of all of this, the two biggest issues. One, we desperately want to add something to it because we want to earn it. We want our relationship with our Creator to be transactional. God, I've done all of these good things you owe me. You owe me salvation. That's not the gospel. The second thing is we don't think we're worth it. Hannah, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the mistakes I have made. And this is beautiful, but there's no way it's for me. Because when God sees me, all he sees are my sins. That's not the gospel. The moment you have received this free gift of grace, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in faith. You are declared not guilty. You are declared righteous. You are covered in Christ's righteousness. Do you understand what that means? That means when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Now, and forever.
That's the God that I know. That's the God that loved me so much. He allowed his son to be arrested, tortured, executed, to pay the price for my sin. But it didn't end there because three days later there was an empty tomb so that I can begin to live in relationship with my living Savior every single day starting today. If you don't know him, it would be my great honor to introduce you to him tonight. Would you pray with me? Lord, as I pray every week, we stand before you humbled and amazed by your presence with us in this place tonight. Grateful beyond the ability to articulate that your presence is not relegated to the bricks and mortar of this building. Let us sit in, rest in, celebrate the scandalous simplicity of your gospel. Remind us every day of who we are and whose we are. We pray these things in your son's amazing and precious name.